Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. So good to be with you. My first time to Sweden, beautiful city of uh, Malmo. What a gorgeous part of the world you live in. How many of you have been to Australia? Give me a wave. You've been, ooh, bundle of you. No, woo's okay when we say Australia. Feel free when um, far away from home to hear a woo about my homeland is a wonderful thing. It's, uh, it's a glorious part of the world. But Sweden, it's just fabulous. I've been uh, here since, when did I get here? Friday. And uh, caught the train from Copenhagen with Charles and uh, had a great time just the last couple of days eating, drinking and being merry throughout Malmo and enjoying connection and friendship and uh, building friendship. Really, I do love uh, Quinton Suzanne after couple of days of getting to know you. I'm strongly connected with their home church, uh, C3 Church Carlingford in, in Sydney. I've had a strong connection. And I remember hearing about Quinton and Suzanne coming to Sweden 12 years ago when you left Sydney. We didn't meet back then, but I heard about you and have followed your progress over the years because of the connection with Richard and Subota. And I thank God for you, for you both, for what you've done in sacrificing, in planning this church, raising up a church that honours Jesus Christ, that encourages people to walk with the Lord. I loved your encouragement. Turn up to church more often. It's a refreshing lake to come to week by week. And uh, I love what you're building here with Suzanne and uh, doing a marvellous job. Put your hands together and appreciate your pastors this morning. Come on, appreciate your pastors. Yeah, give them a bit of a back rub there, just a bit of massage. I've uh, pastored for 30 years uh, in our church in uh, Perth, the west coast of uh, Australia, and uh, seven years ago we handed our church over to Next Generation Leaders, and since then started a ministry called Grow a Healthy Church, where I do consulting with churches. In the last seven years, I've done 124 on-site consults with churches. It lasts about four days, and coach dozens of pastors. And I tell you what, it is an absolute joy and a pleasure to travel throughout Australia, different nations of the world, and to Europe and the UK as well. Uh, working with pastors, working with churches. I love coming to churches and just seeing how churches do their church within their culture, within their setting. And I love hanging out with pastors like Quinton, pastors who sacrifice, pastors who give, pastors who lead uh, well. Um, So I have this little proverb in life, happy pastor, happy life. Grumpy pastor, not a very good life. So pray for your pastor. Encourage them. Another back rub there. Uh, give them a bit of massage. That's it. A bit more back rubs. Nice. <laughs> Look after your pastors. Uh, it goes well with the shepherd. It goes well with the sheep. Jesus said, if you want to scatter the sheep, you only have to do one thing. Smash the shepherd. So as you have a strong shepherd and a strong pastor, you have, uh, you have I think, uh, healthy and strong churches. And we enjoy, my wife and I enjoy doing what we do. I've uh, been married for a long time, 41 years married. I have two, uh, yeah, thank you. You may applaud uh, 41 years of marriage. Beautiful wife in Perth and uh, two adult children. I have four grandsons and I love my grandsons. They are perfect in everything they do. No imperfection in my grandsons has emerged up to this stage. Uh, my oldest one turned nine the other day and I just, I just love this glorious season of life. Is there another grandparent in the house? Oh, I have some grandparents in the house. Woohoo! Best time of life. 
I am not just a father, I'm a grandfather. Whole different stage of life. My uh, wife loves to do jigsaws. She is uh, pretty fanatical about it. And if you come to our house on our dining room table, there's a special jigsaw board that you can buy for doing jigsaws on so you can close it up because when the grandsons come around, they like to help grandma do the jigsaw, but grandma is not very uh, encouraging of that behavior, especially when a three-year-old wants to help you with a thousand-piece jigsaw. It's a nightmare. So you'll find on our dining room table when you visit us, you'll see a jigsaw laid out on a board and my wife is... uh, very detailed. She gets all the right pieces together and then the colours together and she'll do all the edges. And I, I don't like jigsaws. They just do my head in. I don't mind doing the edges occasionally, but generally, I, does anyone else love jigsaws here? Some of you love, who's like me? My jigsaw is just like a horrible idea. I don't like it. It's not relaxing at all. And, you know, sometimes when I'll go and help Diane, uh, just by moving all the pieces around in the wrong place, which he doesn't appreciate that help. But I like to have a bit of fun like that, keep our marriage alive and fun. When our first uh, grandson was born, Jack, uh, after two or three years, Diane brought him a, a jigsaw. She wanted to get him addicted at an early age to jigsaws like uh, she is. And it was so jigsaws for children with really big pieces. It's kind of my sort of jigsaw, actually. It's about 16 pieces, all big and we had one of the American, sorry, the, the African safari animals, elephants and tire lions and rhinos. And I'd get down on the floor with Jack and he'd pour all the, the pieces of the jigsaw on the floor and then we'd kind of put it together um, as a kind of granddad, grandson sort of experience. And then Jack one day, when we were first working on the jigsaw, did something quite remarkable. He grabbed the, the box lid of the jigsaw and stood it up on the floor. And then he'd look at the box lid and then he'd look at the pieces. And I thought, he's watched his grandmother do a jigsaw. You can't do a jigsaw without the box lid. You need the box lid. And Jack had figured out pretty quickly, if I'm going to put this puzzle together, I need a model. I need a box lid uh, to look at. And I want to help you this morning with your Christian life. I want to help you with your walk of faith, what I want to do this morning is take you into this glorious book called the Bible. Uh, for some young people might know this is, this is actually a book. Some of you may not be familiar with a book and it closes very easily, it opens, it's a great app, you never have to plug it into anything, it works all the time. But I want to take you into this glorious, life-changing, transforming book. And I want to put some box-lid believers up before you this morning, people that we can look at and work out the puzzle of walking in the Christian faith. I've been a Christian for many decades, and every now and again, it gets a bit confusing. Every now and again, it gets a bit uncertain. Every now and again, you're not sure what step should I take, what disposition, what place should I sit in. And I love to look into the Bible and find for myself mentors, coaches, models, box-lid believers, that as I'm trying to work it all out, I can look and go, oh, oh, okay, that's what it kind of looks like. I need to arrange my life like that. So I'm going to jump into Romans chapter 16, the longest letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and I'm going to jump right to the last chapter. Romans is full of amazing truths and doctrine and theology and also very 
practical things about living the Christian life. And chapter 16 is the sort of chapter that you skip over because it's full of weird names, very unusual names for us today. These names are generally 2,000 years old, and some of them have made their way into the 21st century, but not a lot of them. And I want to read this passage, and I want to throw... There's actually about 27 people in this passage, and don't worry, I'm not going to give you 27 people. We'll be here for too many hours, but I want to pick a few people out of this passage and put them up before you today and say, hey, follow them, copy them. There's a model for you to get your hands on to help you live the Christian life. So I'm in Romans chapter 16. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along with me. If you haven't, just listen. Verse 1. I want you to notice as I read this passage, how many times Jesus is mentioned in this passage. Sometimes as Lord, sometimes as Christ, but maybe even do a head count of that. I commend you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people, to give her any help she may need from you, for she's been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia, modern-day Turkey. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Actually, love that name, Aristobulus. I have not been able to talk my children into calling one of their children Aristobulus. Aristobulus Finkeldi has a regal, noble feel to it, don't you think? No, okay, all right. Keep moving, John. <clears throat> Verse 11, greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosia. Those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Philogon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nerus, and his sister in Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Did you count up and uh, note how many times Jesus is mentioned in this passage? In 16 verses, 27 people are, are, are acknowledged and greeted by Paul, and yet Jesus appears in this passage about 12, 13 times. It's quite remarkable because Paul was an old man by first century standards. He was about 50 years of age, when he wrote to the book to the Roman church. In the first century, men's life expectancy was around about 36 or 37. If you made it to 40, you were going above life expectancy. If you made it to 50, you were like, wow, you're a seriously old person. 
in the first century. Paul is an older man. He's sitting in Corinth. He wants to go to Spain to plant churches in Spain because he's finished all his work around what uh, we call today Greece and Macedonia and through modern-day Turkey. He's finished there, and he's writing from Corinth to the church in Rome with the view to land with them, teach them, and then get sent on the way to Spain. But he writes as a veteran church planter. He's been following Jesus for about 20 years. In the last 10 years, you can read through the book of Acts and you can discover the number of churches he planted. He probably planted about 20 churches in 10 years. That's not bad going, is it? Imagine doing that, 20 churches in a decade. I mean, that is a, that's a church planting machine. He's been stoned for the gospel. He's been shipwrecked. He's had all sorts of experiences in Christ. But the thing I love about this old guy, old by first century standards, is he still have a passion for Jesus. I get challenged by that. I, 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 am, I am increasing in age. I am getting older. But when I read a passage like this and I think, here's a veteran pastor, a veteran church planter, and yet he still has this fresh, vibrant connection with Jesus that even when he's listing off people's names and saying, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, he weaves the Lord's name in amongst all that passage again and again and again. You can see in his writings, he's not stale. He's not worn out with Jesus. You can see in his writings there's still a hunger for the Lord. There's still a passion for the Lord. And I don't want to be an older Christian who just kind of turns up to church occasionally and doesn't ever mention Jesus. I want to, as I get older, I want to get... My, my dad is 93. My mum's 92. They're both on Facebook. It's hilarious on Facebook. My dad did a Facebook Live one day. He didn't know what he was doing. It popped up in my feed, Facebook Live from your father. I'm going, I'll know what they done. And it's a dark, shadowy video, and he's just looking at his Samsung tablet, and he goes, oh, and that's the end of the video. <laughs> you should not let really old people near Facebook. It's a disaster. But my mum and dad are in their 90s. They still live in their own home. They live independently. They're getting frailer. But I'm thinking my mum and dad, and my dad is, is not a believer. He's abused his body with cigarettes and alcohol. He's still going at 93. We cannot kill him. I want to kill him. I think, man, I, I could get to 100. I've probably got the DNA to get to 100. I, I don't want to get into my 70s and 80s and 90s. Just kind of, oh, yeah, that's, I remember back in the day when Jesus was good. I don't want to be like that. I want to be alive, fresh, vibrant. Whenever I stop traveling and we're still members of the church, we've handed over children, my grandchildren are, are all there. When I stop traveling, I, I want to be on the door. I want to be 87 and on the door. Hi, welcome to church. You're going to have a great morning this morning. Jesus is waiting for you. The Lord's going to meet with you today. I'd love to be on the door in our church. Do you reckon I'd be okay on the door? Yeah, not sure. I, am. I, I would love it. I, I would, I, it doesn't matter if they put me on a roster or not. I just put myself on the door. Hi, welcome to church. Jesus is here. I want to have that vibrancy that Paul has. Do you want that? Is that what you want? 
You have to. I, I think the key to this is having a personal connection with Jesus Christ. It's coming to church, being a part of a community of faith. It's building relationships. We had a wonderful night last night, Quentin Suzanne's beautiful lounge room and talking about the Lord and, and church and just a fantastic night. You have to be in a community of faith, but also you have to have a personal, private, one-to-one walk with Jesus Christ. It's not enough to just be in church. You need to be in church. You need to be connected in relationships, eyeballing people, looking at the back of people's heads like you're doing this morning. You need all of that, but you and I need one-to-one, private personal connection with Jesus. And the way I make that work in my life is, is I have a time and a place that I connect with the Lord. If you ever come to my house in, in Perth, I can show you my place. I have a little uh, study area with an Ikea chair in it. Plug for Ikea, not that they need it. There's a little Ikea chair there. In the morning, I make my cup of coffee. I love my coffee, Australians and coffee. We are addicted to coffee. And I make my coffee and I, I get my Bible out. It can be on my tablet sometimes. It can be on the paper. And then I'll sit in my chair and I'll have that first sip of coffee and I feel the caffeine rush into my system. And I'll sit with Jesus. I'll sit with the Bible. And sometimes it's for four minutes, short and sweet. Lord, got a lot on today. Going to read a verse. Commit the day to you. Thank you, Lord. Bless my day. Amen. Off to work. Sometimes it's 20 minutes. Sometimes it's 40 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour. I don't kind of, okay, Lord, I'm clocking on. Start now. It's not a good way to run a relationship. You know, you go on a date night with your wife. All right, date night starts now. And we've got 90 minutes and stopping now. Back to Facebook. That's not you don't run a relationship like that. But I have a time. It's in the morning, not at night. I'm useless at night for sitting with the Lord. Oh, gone, you know, brain dead. But in the morning, first thing. Can you take me to your place? What's your place? My wife loves to walk. She reads her Bible over breakfast and writes notes and journals. I, I, I don't do that. Can't, that just doesn't work for me. And when she prays, she loves to go for a walk. She just loves to walk down by the beach and walk along and talk to the Lord. And I can't do that. I get way too distracted by everything going on, checking everything out, what's going on with people. I need a quiet, secluded place. What's your time? What's your place? And a good thing to do, and especially in your September season, the kind of out of summer holidays, it's good to press the reset button on your time and place and refresh it and renew it, that you can have that time with Jesus. Because I find over the decades, I found that's the thing that keeps me in love with Jesus. That's the thing that keeps me connected with him. So there's my first box of believer, it's Paul. Refresh your time and your place with the Lord, that you'll walk with him. So as you get older, you'll still be a person who says, Jesus. Jesus. A second box of believer is um, mentioned in verse 1, Phoebe. And you may have noticed in the reading from verse 3 down to 16, Paul just keeps saying, greet, greet, 
greet, hello, hello, or in Australia we'd say g'day. And all these people mentioned in this chapter, except for Phoebe, Paul had already sent on to Rome to prepare the way for his coming and get ready to go on to Spain. He mentioned Spain in the previous chapter of the book. But he doesn't say hello to Phoebe. Everyone else he greets. But this is what he said about Phoebe in verse 1. I commend to you. He doesn't say greet. He says, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people, to give her any help she may need from you, for she's been the benefactor of many people, including me. Most scholars that you read about the book of Romans will tell you that Phoebe was not already in Rome getting a greeting from Paul. Phoebe was a businesswoman, a benefactor, a patron of many who took Paul's letter from Corinth to Rome. She comes from Centria, which is a port just a few kilometers down the road from Corinth. And Paul has approached her and said, Phoebe, you're a trustworthy, big-hearted, generous woman. You've supported me in my ministry. I've written my longest letter ever. It's an important letter to go to the Roman church. Will you take some time away from your home? Will you take some time and take an arduous journey, a difficult journey, a dangerous journey? It's just not, not a matter of getting on a plane in Corinth and zipping over to Rome for a Roman holiday. It was an arduous, weeks-long journey that was quite dangerous and difficult. Phoebe, would you sacrifice your home comforts? Would you leave your business? Would you leave everything behind and take this letter to the Roman church? And, of course, we know that Phoebe said, Paul, I'm your gal. I'm your woman. I want to do this. And Paul's description of her is interesting. It says, give her any help she may need from you, for she's been the benefactor of many people, including me. A benefactor in Corinthian society were wealthy people who would find things like people like Paul and say, uh, Paul, when he read this in Acts, when he arrived in Corinth, he started making tents to make income to survive. And uh, Phoebe said, no, no, you, you can't be wasting your time making tents. Um, here, I'm going to support your ministry. I'm going to be your benefactor. I'm going to be your patron. I'm going to finance you so that you don't have to work and make tents. In fact, people like Phoebe um, would operate in the Corinthian society in a very significant way around slaves. Corinth had 90,000 people in it. 30,000 of them were slaves. A third of the city was slaves. So if we were the Corinthian church... Um, or you guys over here, you're the slaves. Wave to your owners who are sitting on the other side of the church. You, you over here, a bundle of you would own slaves. Uh, but it, with people like Phoebe who were benefactors or patrons, it wasn't a, a slavery that was brutal. It would be a slavery uh, that Phoebe would go down to the slave market and uh, the young man leading the worship, what's your name? Numb. Numb. I would go down, or Phoebe would go down to the slavery and see Num and say, Num, you're a musician, that's awesome, I'm buying you today. I could do that, you're in the slave market. Are you married, Num? You are. You bring your wife with you. Do you have children? That's your wife over there? You have children. How many children do you have? Two daughters. Bring your whole family, I'm buying a lot of you. Four for the price of one. I'm going to send you to the Conservatorium of Music here in Centria. 
You're going to have five years musical training and singing. I will pay all your fees. I will accommodate you on my property. I'll look after your food and lodging. Your daughters, I'll help them get educated as well. Your wife can enjoy my property and be a part of it. <clears throat> and every time I have a party, you're playing. Amen. <laughs> hey, also, you can get your family playing if you like. The whole family can get involved. And I would be a patron, a benefactor of people like that. Some scholars think that Luke was a slave who was bought in a slave market, sent to a medical school, and he became the family physician for Theophilus, who he wrote Luke and Acts for. A benefactor was someone who had a bigness of heart, a generosity of spirit that wouldn't see their wealth as something just for them. They would have this bigness of heart that would say, hey, Nam, bring your family, I'm going to train you. And if anyone in our village is having a party, I'll just send them down to you and you can entertain them. If I'm feeling a bit depressed, I'll, you'll be there. And of course, you'll be saying yes all the time because I do own you. But you'll love it because you're a musician, you're a singer. I'm going to help you and you will help me. And benefactors were a significant part of Corinthian life, of Corinthian culture. And we see here that Phoebe was a benefactor, a big-hearted person. Have any of you ever been to my city, Perth, in Australia? Oh, you have. Oh, wonderful. Did your host take you up to King's Park? They did. Isn't it magnificent? It's amazing. It's a 500-hectare park, three minutes from the central business district. It's on a huge hill that overlooks our city. Our city is not flat. It's this magnificent view of the city and our lake river. We have a huge river that's not just a little kind of stream. It's a magnificent lake river. And you stand up there, 500 hectares. There's playgrounds, there's cafes, there's restaurants. It's unbelievable. It would be worth hundreds of millions of dollars to a property developer. But over 100 years ago, Lord John Forrest, our first premier, John Septimus Rowe, our first surveyor general, they stood at King's Park and they said, you know what? We're going to make a decision that we will not allow this property to be owned privately. I mean, it is the best views in Perth to buy a, just, a, just a few hundred square meters and put a house on it would cost you at least, I'd say, four million euros. It's unbelievable, this property, unbelievable. And you multiply that four million by 500 hectares. And these guys thought beyond themselves. I hope they're in heaven. I don't know if they were Christians, but I hope they're in heaven because I'm going to run up to them if they're in heaven and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for being big-hearted enough to not just think about yourself, to not just be... I, I mean, Lord John Forrest, he was a giant of a man in, in our colony. He could have had the very best house on that hill overlooking the river in the city, but he thought, you know what? It's not about me. It's about the generations to come. What you're building here in C3 Melmo, it's not just for you. It's for the generations to come. When do you do your vision builders starting in a couple of weeks and you raise prayer and you raise passion and you raise finance? You're not just doing it for you, church. You're doing it for the generations to come. And that's the Phoebe heart, the Phoebe spirit to be a benefactor. I love the fact that you can be in a church like this and say, you know what, my life is not just about me. You know, seriously, at my age, I could still be pastoring my wonderful church back in Perth, having an easy life, 
not flying 24 hours to come over to Europe, staying in hotels and doing all that. I could have a really easy life at the moment. But I have a sense that God doesn't want me to do that, just to live a selfie-centered life, but to live a life that is for others. I want to put Phoebe up before you and say, hey, get bigger in your heart. Get more generous with your time, with your love, with your mercy, with your kindness, with your forgiveness. Get bigger on the inside. Because that's how great churches get built. Great churches get built by big people. Okay, we're about out of time. One more box, I believe. Verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 4. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Wouldn't you like in your Bible a little footnote that explains something? I w- there's not enough in the Bible. I mean, it's a big book, but that I can't wait to get to heaven and say, could someone tell me what happened here? I'd like a little footnote with a YouTube channel on it. They risked their lives for me. What did they do? Did they get between some thugs and Paul who were trying to take him out? Did they rescue Paul from some shipwreck, from some, I don't know. They risked their lives for me. Priscilla and Aquila, I want to hold up to you as risk takers. R-I-S-K, it's another word for faith. People who will step out, people who will take a risk. And my goodness, this church exists because this wonderful couple took a, oh, what a risk. We're going to leave Sydney, Australia, leave a wonderful church there, C3 Church Carlingford, great church. We're going to leave that. We're going to go to Sweden and plant a church. You, sir, are slightly crazy. <laughs> Massive. What a risk. I love being around risk takers because they inspire me to take more risks. They inspire me to, to not. In Australia, we have a real problem in our, in our nation, Australia. We try and create risk-free lives. You know, don't get too um, out of step with the ordinary things around. Let everything just be okay. Let it just be average, you know. Make sure you've got enough insurance to cover every single thing in your life. Make sure your pension, your superannuation is all covered. Just kind of line everything up. Parents are kind of like helicopter parents. Have you heard the term helicopter parents? They're just hovering over their children. Watch out. Oh, don't, 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 don't scam your knee, Johnny. Oh, watch out. The teacher does something. A parent goes, hey, stop that. Parents are hovering. I, I remember talking in a church about helicopter parents, and a teacher came up to me afterwards and said, no, that's not the latest term. I said, well, what is the latest term? She said, Black Hawk parents. Helicopters with guns. Kind of like gunship parents, like you're know, hovering, I'll take you out if you touch my child. My daughter is, is like a mother hen and at our place we have a little hill, not very big, but down a driveway. And when the boys are younger, you know, they're kind of toddling down the hill and my daughter Erin's going, oh, careful boys, careful boys. And I'm going, run harder, run harder. You know, what's a childhood without a broken bone? You've got to ruin the skin a bit. You've got to scrape it off and bleed and cry a little bit and They'll be fine, no worries. Have a good ball, have a good cry, and pick them up and get up with it. Come on. Way too safe. You're not a safe church. You are, but you're not. Churches need to take risks. Churches need to take faith steps. 
step out of where it's easy and comfortable and average and mediocre. Our life, and I'll finish with this, I could have our keyboard, thank you, or one of my slaves. <laughs> Not really, but maybe. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Diane and I got our start in ministry in our church by our pastor coming to us. Our founding pastor said, John, the youth group you're running is booming, it's growing. I, I want you to come on staff as our youth pastor. And I said, Pastor Frank, I'd, I'd love to do that. My aspiration, hunger is to be a pastor. And he said, we, we're going to do it, but we don't have any money at the moment. So um, we'll just have to wait and see for the Lord to provide. I said, that's fine. I was desperate, but you've got to go with the timing. About six months later, Pastor Frank came to me and said, John, um, someone has come to me and donated to the church your entire year's salary, one year of salary as a gift to the church. And so we're going to start employing you as a full-time youth pastor. I said, wow, uh, who, who is this unbelievably generous person? He said, well, they've, they've given the gift on the condition that it's anonymous. You can't know who it is. I said, well, how can I thank them? He said, I'll thank them for you. I said, oh, that, I want to thank them. Buy them a gift. Appreciate them. Honor them. I, every now and again, I would ask Pastor Frank, uh, who was that person who gave that gift? He said, stop that. Took me 10 years to get the name out of him, but I am a persistent person. And he finally told me, about 10 years later, he said, oh, it was Wes and Sue Prosser. I said, no way. I said, yeah. Wes at that time was the business manager of our church. He had four little children. He had some farm inheritance money, and he went to our pastor, Pastor Frank, and said, said, Pastor, keep me on staff for a year, but don't pay me. Use my salary to pay John. What a risk. What, what a risk. Four young children. Because when I found out, I had to thank Wes, appreciate him, honor him every time. I bump into him occasionally and I like to just bring it up again. He's embarrassed, doesn't want me to know. And I've said to him, I've sat with him and said to him, every single piece of fruit from our ministry is your fruit. And I... I I feel almost obligated, obligated to not live a risk-free life. I feel obligated. I feel a debt because someone took a risk that is outrageous. Imagine giving up a year's salary to help someone become a youth pastor. My goodness. You and I probably live way too safe. And I want to put Phoebe up in front of you, the successful businesswoman who would, with a big-hearted, generous heart, would say, Paul, I'll take the letter to the Romans. I'll carry that letter for you. A letter that has changed culture. A letter that has changed the church. Because she had a big heart. Priscilla and Aquila 
stepped out into ways that are astonishing. Why don't you close your eyes where you're sitting this morning. I want you to think about Phoebe. I want you to think about Priscilla and Aquila. I want you to think about Paul. These box-lip believers I want to ask you this morning to make a solid, wonderful decision. A decision maybe to refresh and reset your time and place with Jesus. And you might think, oh, I'm not sure quite what to do. Just take a bit of time out at a good time of the day for you and sit with the Bible and read some of the Bible and pray some of the Bible. Pray for your family. Pray for your pastors. Learn how to pray. You can only do it. Learn by doing it. Maybe the decision you're going to make today is, you know what, John, I'm going to reset, refresh my time and place with Jesus. Maybe your decision today is to be like Priscilla and Aquila. You're going to take a risk. You're going to take a step of faith. You're going to step out in a new way. Maybe to invite someone to church. Maybe to serve in the church. Maybe as Vision Builders comes to give a significant gift into the life of the church. Holy Spirit will challenge you with that risk. Or maybe you're making a decision today to be like Phoebe and become a far bigger hearted, more generous person. And I'm, I'm not talking about money. Talk about generosity of mercy, generosity of kindness, bigness of forgiveness, bigness of thinking about the future, to have a big heart. Every eye closed right across the congregation. I want you to make a solid decision. You may choose one or more than one of those three boxlid believers and say, John, I'm, I'm picking that boxlid believer up and I'm going to run with that. I want you to confirm that decision by simply just raising your hand high in the air, put it down again. Go ahead and do that right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks up the back, thanks in the middle, thanks on my left. If you haven't yet raised your hand, it's just a good thing to do to affirm that decision. Thanks up the back. Thanks on my left. You can put your hands down. Thanks in the middle. Thanks on my left. Thank you on my left. It's good just a solid decision making. Father, I'm praying for everyone making great decisions today that your grace and your strength, your courage would be in them to help reset that time and place. To take the risk of faith, the step of faith you want them to take to grow a bigger heart, a bolder heart, a stronger heart towards others. Lord, give grace and courage, I pray in Jesus' name.